If you have or are near a Bible, we are in Acts 5. Turning to Acts 5, you likely understand then that we are considering an episode tonight after Jesus is resurrected, after Jesus is ascended, and after the, the Holy Spirit is poured out on His disciples, and His disciples are bearing witness. And in fact, the Greek term for witness throughout Acts is where we get the word martyr. And as Paul, in our studies on Sunday morning, is before kings and rulers... So the disciples here find themselves likewise before the Sanhedrin in our text this evening. Peter and a few of the apostles were thrown into prison. And it's interesting, the only reason we're really given in Acts 5 is found in verses 17 and 18, which says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So jealousy is their high and mighty reason to put the apostles in prison. Miraculously, an angel of the Lord releases them, and immediately the apostles go and preach about Christ at the temple. And whenever they're retrieved, yet again... By the same party who incarcerated them, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, as they were being interrogated. And we read that the high priest, verse 28 of Acts 5, was saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Why don't we go ahead and pray? Father, My desire in communion is to commune with you. To meet with you this evening, we don't necessarily look for goosebumps. We don't look for necessarily miracles. We don't look for really anything except for the fact of knowing that you're with us. And in that category of knowing you're with us, whatever you desire to bring to our lives and put before us so we might know your presence, we receive. So we pray that as we look through these words together, that the things that are brought to our attention would be used by you to glorify your Son, Jesus, to whether it be convict us or comfort us or encourage us, whatever the case may be, we ask to receive. Have your way in our lives and say what it is that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to consider three simple facts, really, from this conversation we just read. Guilt, 
obedience and repentance. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, says the high priest. You say we're guilty of this man's blood. It's interesting that they're shocked by this accusation. In fact, maybe you remembered when Russ read, he <clears throat> he recited an ironic statement from the crowds outside Pilate's praetorium, and the crowds that I should say, according to only a few verses prior, Matthew 27, 20, they are stirred and instigated by the Sanhedrin and the high priest. So these crowds say in verse 24 of Matthew 27, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. The Sanhedrin and the crowds doing their bidding accept the blood of Christ on their own hands. But here in Acts 5, they deny it. This man's blood is on their hands. And this man's blood is on our hands. We're all guilty of his blood. And while the Sanhedrin here will not repent, will not accept the charge, will not receive the accusation, and in fact, even in our studies coming up on, on Sunday in Acts 25, still the likes of these same men are still persecuting the apostles and Paul, but there are men who do receive the accusation, the conviction, and they repent. That's what happens in Acts 2, when Peter preaches a sermon and we're told about 3,000 people receive, repent, and believe. Acts 2.41, Peter says in that message, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Men of Israel, you crucified. So Peter says to a huge crowd. What does Peter mean here? Is everyone guilty of crucifying Christ? In some ways, Peter says it this way in his letter, as he would write later on to Christians. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. His death for our life, His righteousness for our unrighteousness. And when we accept, believe, receive and live into His death for our sins. That is what brings us to God. You know, I've noticed something in the book of John actually a while ago. In there, Christ seems to make it so simple. <clears throat> I'm one of those guys who likes to make it really hard. And you're like, I know, we listen every Sunday. He makes this dichotomy 
that I don't know if I'm always quick to emphasize. It's it's a dichotomy that says obedience is believing in Him. And disobedience and punishment and rejection is not believing in Him. This word believe Jesus uses throughout John is more than just mental affirmation. It means to entrust or to commit oneself to. So this isn't, I won the lottery, do you believe me? Oh, I believe you. That's an exchange of facts with a yes or no answer. Rather, this is more like we're taking the rackety old bridge across the canyon because I know it won't break. Do you believe me? Belief in this sense isn't necessarily affirming or denying a fact. Rather, it's going to have physical implications. Do you hear that? Uh, To say yes, I believe you, means that's going to be tested. This is the belief that God wants throughout the book of John. And Jesus says things like, Whoever believes in Him, John 3.18, that's a few verses after the famous 3.16. So we're talking about the Son of God. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Do you hear the the dichotomy? Two sets of people, believers, non-believers, respectively then. Believers not condemned. Non-believers condemned. This continues throughout John. In places like John 8.24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Jesus is making it plain and simple. Here's the fact, He says, you will die in your sins. What's the only thing that can save you? unless you believe that I am He. He in this context, verse 23, Jesus says He's from above, He's not of this world. In other words, He's God. Belief. Or when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 16, He he says there, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He goes on to say, concerning sin, what will the Holy Spirit say about those with sin? that they do bad things, or that they're immoral. The primary concern, or I should say the one thing that Christ mentions about the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin is because they do not believe in Me. Believe and trust commits one's self into. Well, why am I bringing this up? Because back in our passage in Acts 5, 28-31, Peter accuses the Sanhedrin of killing Christ, just as he accused the men of Israel who repented back at Pentecost. But as for why Peter and the apostles are so persistent in preaching about Christ, and the salvation he offers boils down to this verse, verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Obedience. It's an obedience that springs forth from this belief. that This faith. It's an obedience to God that says, the authorities or man is threatening me concerning my faith in Christ, but God is calling me to preach Christ. I will go with what Christ says because I believe. I trust Him more. 
To bring our illustration back, man is telling me to take a long road around through the forest and through the woods. God is calling me to take the old rackety bridge because he knows it won't fail. I'll have to go with God on this one. I trust him. There's a reason he doesn't want me to go through the forests and the woods. Belief that inspires obedience. Peter and the apostles are a practicing This obedience is inspired by belief in their maturing as Christians, in their walk with Christ. But also, this is what's required of us, as Jesus just laid out, for our salvation, for our justification, to be made right before God. And that's our last part, repentance. So guilt, we're all guilty of killing Christ. Obedience. We must obey God rather than men. And then repentance, verses 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Belief, obedience, belief that entrusts oneself to this message. It's a hard message at times because it first says we're guilty. It first says we're unrighteous. Again, Peter says to the, the Sanhedrin, the man whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Think about that. There is no wonder here as to why Peter's hearers will not repent. They've spent hours, energy, efforts. Their public image and reputation by this point is now entirely wrapped up with their judgment concerning Christ. They lobbied against Him. They instigated crowds to crucify Him. They denounced His teaching. In our day and age, it's as if they were on all the talk shows, all the news shows, their books We're laden with this one thing. Jesus of Nazareth is a heretic, a blasphemer. He should die. And then they won. He did die. Finally, they can say, ah, well, we were right about him. The courts crucified him. It was in their hands. We're vindicated. We were right about him. And Peter says, Yahweh, the very God you serve, raised Jesus, exalted him. He is vindicated. He is now leader and savior. The courts could have killed him, but the grave couldn't keep him. And Christ is raised and exalted, leader and savior for this thing, says Peter, to give repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The Sanhedrin didn't hear it when Peter said it, but I wonder if you hear it. That's the invitation. That's the invitation for the guilty. If you and I are guilty of sin this evening, all that's required, so says Jesus, over and over is belief. Entrusting ourselves to Him, our lives to Him, and that belief will produce obedience. Because if I believe He is Lord and Savior, then the Lord of my life will be Lord of my life. Sovereign. What he says I should do, what and who he loves I should love. And the Lord of my life 
gives me repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And I was thinking about that. He gives repentance. That's the wording. Who He is causes me to repent. All I need to do is look to Him. And whenever I realize that I'm guilty of His scarred hands, His bloody crown, His ripped flesh, and ultimately His death, and if I know I'm guilty, then I'll want to repent. And so what we do tonight at at this table is a reception of that reality. That we're guilty, but through obedience to what He calls us to, receiving Him, communing with Him, should lead to our repentance. The elements on the table are reminders and tokens. Christ says, do this in remembrance of Me. Thus we know and profess That we're here out of obedience, not because it's a necessity of salvation, but it's an invitation to remember our salvation. We're given some good charges in Scripture in places like 1 Corinthians 11 by Paul to examine ourselves before we come to the table. We should know that if we're not believers in Christ, if we're not walking with Christ, or if we say we believe in Christ but have no intentions to acknowledge our guilt or to repent of our sins or to follow Him, we shouldn't receive this. But this is a great night to work things out with God and to invite Him to work in our lives and to invite Him to once again grant repentance to us and forgiveness of sins. We're going to take some moments and I only want you to come up here and retrieve the elements that you want to take tonight. Uh, Then I will give us all some time to come up, grab the cup, grab the bread, but please don't drink or eat yet because when I sense everyone who has wanted to comes up and takes these things and then they have come and sat back down, then I would like to lead us through Luke's reading of the Last Supper and then we can all take it together. So you feel like coming up to take these elements, I invite you to do so. Let's take some time of quiet to allow for that. A reading from Luke 22, 14 through 20. And just to, to forewarn you, it may sound like Jesus offers the cup first, but he doesn't. So let's hold until the bread and then afterwards he's going to offer the cup. So Luke 22, 14 through 20 says... When the hour came, Jesus reclined at table, the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I will tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup when he had given thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. 
Let's do this in remembrance. Let's pray. Father, we believe and profess that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. And he came, he lived the life that we should live, and he died the death we deserve to die, but he rose again. And with this cup and with this bread, we are partaking in what you've invited us to do, to do in remembrance of you. So we remember tonight what you did for us, that your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us. We thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of repentance and forgiveness of sins. So we pray that what we have done tonight would spur us on to remember you day in and day out what you did for us so that we might be more like Jesus and that by your spirit we would start living the way you lived. And we ask that you would um, be with us through the remainder of this time, this weekend. Please see us safely home and help us to have a good time on Sunday as we remember your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.